Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just show up. Father, I, first of all, I pray that you would just save me. I confess my sin. I confess my sin. And Lord, as you put your perfect hand on this imperfect vessel, strengthen it so that I just don't turn to dust and ashes at your presence. And use me as it pleases you. Because God, you really want to reach your people. And even now in heaven, all heaven is just abuzz with activity because you are getting ready to come back and you are going to wrap this thing up. And even if it is longer than our lives, someone's going to fade off tonight or today. Someone's last day, someone's in their last week. We just don't know. But we do know it is appointed once for everyone to die. So this is not play play. This is life and death. And I pray that those who would be wise would catch this. driving up just on the other side of 4th in Paris there was an accident and the freeway started backing up heading south and you went by and you saw somebody laid out on a stretcher and the car was just totally mangled and then my wife started to tell me about a person who comes in for treatment and he's never in a good mood and for the first time he's been coming for months and Never in a good mood, never talkative. He came in last week, or this week, and I guess he lost a lot of weight, and he got his new legs put on, and he was happy. See, we take all types of blessings for granted. And then we come here, and we act like our praise is something God needs. Like we're doing God a favor. But you and I wouldn't even have a thought if God didn't wake us up this morning come down our way. You know, God chooses which cars. People got to die. We live in a sinful world, but you do know it's under God's control. Not that one. Cancer's there, but not there. Bullet here, but not there. See, God is good. The book of Proverbs provides want to know how to bring your spiritual into your material world, you need to read the book of Proverbs. I'm having my daughter read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs teaches the Christian, teaches the believer, the follower of God, how to live this life skillfully. And it does it through a, a, a series of contrasts, the foolish person, the wise person. You want to know how your Christianity can affect your practical world? Because a lot of times we go, well, you know, that's spiritual, but I'm in the real world. 
read the book of Proverbs and have your kids read it early on so that they would not make a lot of mistakes that we've made. But in the chapter 14, the book of Proverbs gives us in verses 11 through 12 a very stark warning. You just read it. It's probably up on the board right now. It says, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow in the end of mirth may be grief. Hmm. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. This, this there is a way that seems right to a man. It intrigues me greatly this morning. It demands my attention because it implies, it implies that there will be a group of people who will be destroyed not because of some accidental mistake or miscalculation. I, I mean, after all, it's always tragic, but accidents do happen. Planes fall out of the sky and tornadoes do touch down and even lightning strikes every now and again, Leoma. But this there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death implies something other than a miscalculation, a mishap, God. It strongly warns the listener or reader to beware of being numbered in this tragic group of people who will be destroyed by their own erroneous assumptions and perceptions of this thing we call life and how to play the game of it. Did, did, are you with me? Are, are you listening, Savannah? You see, this is what the book of Proverbs is all about. Like I said, it's, it's God's instructions for those who will be wise enough to use him as their personal life coach. The purpose of Proverbs is to instruct the people of God on how to practically as well as spiritually live life skillfully. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants us to be blessed here and now in our going out and our going in. Our prayers can only take you so far if you do foolish and practical things. There is a way that seems right to a man, seems right to a man, seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So this warning and danger that it addresses is very real. It's not just some spiritual thing. Consider the implications. These unnamed and unspecified individuals couldn't have been exhibiting or acting out in any self-destructive or suicidal behavior. How do I know? Say, how do, you, how do you know, preacher? Because it says that there is a way that seems right to a man. They weren't looking to check out of life. They were looking to get ahead. There is a way that seems advantageous to you and me, to, to whoever chose that way. There was a way that seemed like this is the smart path. Take it. They were not being reckless. They thought they were being prudent. They weren't looking to cash in their chips. 
They were looking to break the bank. The problem was that their assumption, that their perception of how and why, the hows and whys of the meaning of life was wrong. Our trust in our own perceptions of reality is a dangerous power in the hands of man. Am I reaching somebody this morning? You see, God has allowed us the freedom of choice. Awesome power that God has given us. Dangerous power that God has given us. Eve's sin wasn't a piece of fruit. It was in who she chose to listen to. When you and I suffer today, when we put loved ones in the ground today, when we hear about kids being taken, when we hear about planes falling out of the sky, it all goes back to a woman standing at a tree, making a choice. I've got a book, How to Live the Happy Life says, and it's just a bunch of little sayings, different writers with different people, but one of the things I caught, and mama, I want you to get this, and I've already been talking to you about it, 90 says, 99, 98% of the happiness that you will experience in life is who you choose for a mate. Choices. Choices. Our life is a total of choices, Don. You make one bad choice and your life is over. Go one place that your parents said that you wouldn't, one time too many, and some fool pulls out his, his nine and starts shooting and a bullet hits you. Over. Get in the car with one guy that looked smooth and, you know, and his ride was whipping and, and he was just all of that. And then one day you find yourself in the kitchen and he's stabbing you with a butcher knife in front of your five or six kids. Choices. Choices. We try to tell our young people to serve God, but we don't really try to tell them serving God is one choice at a time. Our trust in our own perception, and we all are guilty of it. What do kids, all teenagers always say to their parents when you try to talk to them? You don't understand. You don't know what's going on, but your friend who is all of what? The same age you are, does. How does somebody that just got here all of maybe a decade ago going to tell somebody who's been here 60 years, I don't know what's going on. No, you don't know what's going on. Dangerous. How do you view how do we view the world? The Manchurian Candidate was a novel written in 1959 by Richard Condon from which two movies were made. The first one in 
1962 starring Sinatra and the second one in 2004 starring Denzel Washington. But it is a political thriller about the son of a prominent U.S. political family who is brainwashed into being an unwitting, unwitting assassin for the Communist Party. As the storyline unfolds, it is revealed that the communists have been using Shaw as a sleeper agent, a guiltless assassin who was kidnapped during the Korean War, and in Denzel's case, during the first Desert Storm War, and whose memories of events during that time were altered. His perceptions concerning his own life were, in fact, fictitious. And there lies the great danger. What are your perceptions concerning your life, walk, and relationship with God today? Are you a sleeper agent, an unknowing, guiltless assassin to your own salvation this morning? You see, can you trust your perceptions concerning yourself and sanctification? You know, are you really moving from glory to glory to glory. Perception. More importantly, your perception of something is an observation, an interpretation, or a mental image that you hold with regard to some event, condition, or circumstance. Let, 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 me, let me make sure that you get the definition of perception. I'm standing in my apartment, this body. I'm looking out my window, my eyes, at the street, and I am viewing the goings-on of the streets and the events. And by what I see, that's how I relate to the world around me. Perception, how we perceive the environment the world, the neighbors, the happenings around us. Our perception is based on our five senses. That's how we connect to the outside world. Your inner man connects and relates to the outside world through our five senses. I see you. I see you rocking. I hear people whispering. I hear pages, all of that information. I can smell things. I can touch things. And depending on what I receive from my senses, I know to react. I touch a stove, it's hot, danger. I see a dog, two big dogs on a dark street, one is growling, danger. That's how, I, that's how you and I react. We are always, our inner man is always getting information from the outside world and assessing it. And depending on its interpretation of it, that is how we view Reality, perceptions. But what if our perceptions are wrong? In other words, in other words, with perceptions, in other words, for a perception is how you see things in the world around you as you relate to your environment and those who share it with you. Again, but is your perception true? Let me give you some quotes on perception. Remember, I said it's a dangerous power in the hands of an unstable person. Some quotes on the subject of perception. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. 
People see what they want to see, and what people want to see never has anything to do with truth. Robert Bellano. Do you realize that there's a group of people still to this day who believe that President Barack Obama is a birther, was not born in this country, is a plant? Do you realize, even though he's been a member, lifelong member for, that I know of, for the United Congregational Church of Christ? Same church as Jeremiah Wright, same church as my good friend, Reverend Art Cripps, same, same church that was one of the first churches that backed financially in a mighty way Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, same church as Bill Moyers, still believe that he's a Muslim? Perception. People see what they want to see, and what people want to see never has anything to do with the truth, Sean. No two people see the external world in exactly the same way. To every separate person, a thing is what he thinks it is. In other words, not a thing, but a think. You see what you think. Penelope Fitzgerald, the gate of angels. What you see is not necessarily what's really there. What you hear is not necessarily what's been said. We get tricked by the way the information we receive is processed in our brain. The first stage of human information processing is perception. This is the stage where the brain decides what it is that is received. If this decision is incorrect, we receive an incorrect image of the world around us. This means that all subsequent information processing will be based on an incorrect premise. Again, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is the way of death. The eye sees only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. Our perception or thoughts of reality actually actually influence the reality around you because you create that reality. Do any of you remember the story of Don Quixote? <clears throat> if I remember correctly, Don Quixote was a blind Spanish farmer who would get up on a donkey that he thought was a steed. He was nearsighted, and he kept fighting giant windmills. That's where you got the song, The Dream, The Impossible, from that movie. But this was a guy who got up every morning and armored up to go out and face giants. He was nearsighted and getting old and senile. But in his mind, in his reality, because he was nearsighted, he was dimsighted, he kept seeing these giant windmills, and he thought they were giants, and he was going out to defend his village. And the people would laugh. But to Don Quixote, he was real. The giants were real. If you see enemies all around you, you will have enemies all around you because you will make them because you successful people, even the obnoxious ones like Donald Trump, they say that they never see problems, they see challenges. They never see failures, they see opportunities for success. The pessimistic person always sees danger everywhere. 
And so they never do anything because all of their moves are to keep from going, to keep from incurring loss. What are you perceiving? We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Anis Nin, perception. Your opinion is your opinion. Your perception is your perception. Do not confuse them with facts or truth. Wars have been fought and millions have been killed because of the inability of men to understand the idea that everybody has a different viewpoint. Just a couple more. Truth is universal. Perception of truth is not. Did you get that? Only in quiet waters, things mirror themselves undistorted. Only in a quiet mind is adequate perception of the world. There's a reason why the devil's why the devil's got us running, running, running all the time. We don't even have time to hear our own thoughts. Do you ever take any time and reflect upon yourself? Look at all the stuff that goes on in church. The misunderstandings, the arguments. We're supposed to be the people of God. Jesus says, by this sign, men will know. See, we love theology. Sabbath State of the dead, that's theology. By this sign, men will know that you love one another. That, 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 that's sanctification. See, it's easy to go through the mo mo motions of observing the day. It's another thing to yield when I always feel I'm right. Perception. So if you have a room you have a sanctuary, if you have a church, a fellowship of everyone who's always right, then any time we hit an impasse, there's going to be a problem. Because you're always right, always wrong, and I'm always right. And even when you try to explain the facts to me, I will not listen because <laughs> I see <laughs> what I see, and I hear what I hear, and that's my reality. My reality is already starting off screwing. Only in a quiet mind, things mirror themselves undistorted. But when we're bustling and tussling because we're always trying to work out differences, when we're ripping and running, when we're trying to do this and do this because we're trying to get ahead, are our minds ever quiet? We don't even know how to handle quiet anymore. People immediately get bored. If the preachers, I could get up and hoop and holler, but if I'm not hooping and holler, if I'm coming from a more cerebral point, some of you start going, well, the pastor's something's kind of boring today. Because normally he's like, you know. Because you can't even tax your minds unless it's a fight on <laughs> Maury Povich or something like that. Housewives of Atlanta. Mob wives. If there ain't drama, and do you realize as a society we're dumbing down? But your mind is always filled with stuff. Only in a quiet mind can you begin to see things as they really are. But that shouldn't be a problem, right? That shouldn't be a problem because we're all we're all sane in here, aren't we? Why are you looking at me, Don? If it's a quiet 
a normal mind, a rational mind, we all we should all be good, right? Who's good? Can I give you the statistic on crazy? <clears throat> the statistics on sanity are that one out of every four Americans is suffering from some form of mental illness. One out of four, is that, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Stay with me now, stay with me, one out of four. Think of your three best friends in the church. If it ain't them, it's you. The truth of the matter is that we're all crazy. The only difference between the patients and the therapist, the only difference between the patients and the therapist are that the therapists haven't been caught yet. And one just got caught this week. How many of you are familiar with Chris Hansen from Dateline NBC? The whole premise of To Catch a Predator is to catch men trying to hook up with underage girls. Now, he wasn't with an underage girl, but he got popped this week. You know, he's the guy that when the guys go to hook up with them little 13-year-old girls, and they've caught people from pastors to doctors to surgeons to everybody, politicians. It is just amazing. But he's the guy that when they come around and the little girl, the little voice of the little girl is like, hey, I'm going to go in here and get undressed. I'm going to, do you want some sweet tea? And they go, yeah, I'll have some sweet. And he's sitting right there at the counter, boom, busted, and the police outside. That's the one. He got popped this week. He's 52, married to two children, got popped at some uh, uh, restaurant with a 30-year-old news, local news anchor down in Florida. And of course, the hidden cameras followed them back to their, you know, that's, that's all TV is nowadays, gotcha TV. That's the only stuff you'd watch because we're all dumbing down. <clears throat> and so it followed him back. She took him back to a hotel, and he didn't leave until the next morning. She drove him to the airport. Gotcha. When you live in glass houses, you ain't supposed to throw any stones. You better be living right. only difference between the patients and the therapist, therapists haven't got caught. But what does God say about the state of our mind? Let's look at it. It's in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. should be on the screen. I'm going to read it from the King James Version. Let's, is it there? Now, these guys came and asked me for it, and then they said, okay, there it is, there it is. Let me get out the way. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. You want to know what God says? where you think your mind is, because we got a perception, but God's got the truth. It says, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. We corrupt the truth. That's distortion. We take God's plain words and we twist it. You know how we do. We take his standard and we... We can make anything, give us time, and we can make anything we do have some kind of excuse or rationale for it. Corruptors. So how are you going to have a true perception when you are a corrupter? They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backwards. What's next? So much for tech. Oh, okay. 
Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, mental sickness. The whole head is sick, mental sickness. And the whole heart faint. Six, from the sole of, thy, of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bru bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In other words, we are one big bag of pus. We are an open wound in the sight of God. That's our mental and spiritual state. You and I are a corrupter. We wouldn't know the truth if it slapped us in the face. The explosive, unstable power of our own perceptions are not only a threat to truth when we look outward at the world around us, and here's the danger, but it is also a threat to truth when we look inward at the person inside of us. You can't even trust your assessment of yourself. How many times have you spoken? Now, you expect this from somebody in the world who does not know the rationale and understanding of sin, but I hear this as a pastor, as an elder. I hear this from more Christians. If I hear it again, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm not that bad. That should never come out of a Christian's mouth. I'm not that bad. Have you heard that, Elder, from Christians? I, I go to church. I, I, I'm on the, I'm, I, I got this position. I'm not that bad. If I hear it again, I'm promising you, I'm jumping out of a window. Now, it's going to be a first floor window because I'm sick in the head, but I ain't that sick. But I'm going to jump out of a window because when I hear that coming from a Christian, that tells me that their perception of themselves and the Bible and sin is all messed up. And it comes out of the mouth sometimes of people who are in leadership. People who have been here a long, long time. Perceptions. Perceptions. I'm not that bad. Do you realize that's why you need other believers to give you a more accurate reference as to where you are in terms of your Christian maturity in Christ? Listen. Listen. You need the person next to you that irritates you. Stay with me. This lifeline is going out for somebody. You need church. And it's not just to get the word. But you need church as the measuring stick to get an accurate picture of where you are going in your life. Paul says in Hebrews 10, verses 22 and 25. Let's get that up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 20 through 22 to 25. This is what Paul is saying. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of the faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, obviously, that's a person that is just coming in. They've come into the church, 
And when you come into church and you, in your first love, you want to be serious with God. That's what you come in with. That's what you do. But then he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Go on. And let us, and let us consider one another. And let us consider one another. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And let us consider. Now, some would say, oh, that just means I need to put somebody first. Means that, but it's even deeper than that. It means that we sharpen each other. What does that mean? Get real. Okay, let me get real. Let me get real. And let us consider one another. Not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. What does that mean? It means that if when you and I came in here, we came in here desirous to have a relationship with God and have God change us. God justified us the day that we accepted him. He says, okay, boom, I have paid for the cost for you to go into this restaurant called Heaven. Right on. I can go in and eat now because we were all out on the streets family. Oh, man, I go in. But wait a minute. The angel comes up. The owner's son did pay for you, but there's a dress code in this restaurant. See? That's sanctification now. So I can't you got to have a jacket, a robe of righteousness. You, you think you're just going to walk up into heaven just unchanged? The, the, the price has been paid. Your meal is covered, but now you have to be fit so that when you go into the restaurant, you fit in with everybody else. This isn't Denny's. This is a gazillion star restaurant. You ever been to one of those restaurants where they have a classical pianist or harpist playing softly while you're eating? This is one of those restaurants. You're not going in with flip-flops tennis shoes, and a muumuu. Not going in like that. You can have all the money in your pocket, but until you dress appropriately, that's sanctification. So now your perception, if you think you're just going to roll up into heaven totally unchanged, and people say crazy things. And this is what I mean by when we fool ourselves. You come into the church, and three or four people in the church tell you that you're bossy, you're over-dominarian, you're pushy. And you hear that over and over and you don't adjust that. You're not growing in grace. You may be great in all them other areas. You may be awesomely talented. You may be, but in that area, you need, you need to, that's not the way of Christ. You come into the church, somebody tells you, you got a short temper. You may be faithful in doing what you got to do. You got to be all of those other things. But if you don't address that, you come into the church and three and four people tell you, you don't ever listen. And you don't ever just, if you come into the church and people say, you're a good person, but you always use church stuff to hook up your family. You got such a love for your family, which is commendable, but it is so great that it's warping. And you don't, and if you've heard these things and you don't, from people who love you, and you don't ever address those things. You see, iron sharpens iron. We're going to clash in love. But this is where we work out our character. How do, 
you get to control your temper unless you have that one person that don't always push that button. No, I'm your test. <laughs> yeah, you are, but I'm passing because daily I'm dying in Christ Jesus. You come to church and people tell you the only time you ever show up is for player eating. And that's the only time you continue to show up and you know people are saying this about you. And you think you're going into the kingdom? That's God talking to you. That's God giving you spot quizzes. That's why you are not allowed, you're not supposed to forsake the assembly. By this sign, it's not your doctrine, by this sign, men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. The other thing, too, is if you're one of those individuals that always comes and goes, Pastor, and I'm going to tell you now, I'm not the one. And I mean this, I'm not the one. Don't come and tell me to talk to anybody unless you've spoken to them first. That's Bible, and I'm going to show you that. Because some of us are cowards. Some of us are passive aggressive. That everybody thinks we're all meek and milk toast quietly, but then we're just stabbing people in the back, and they're not looking. We're throwing rocks, and we're never, but the people never see our hands. And even if what you're saying or the issue that you're bringing up is true, God wants us to be total. He wants us to be like Christ. Christ was not a coward. Whatever Jesus had to say to you, he said it to your face. He said it with love and with tear in his eyes, but he was not yielding. We ought to be like Jesus. We all have aspects of that. We were made in the image of God, and sin came and took a big rock and shattered that mirror, and that mirror is now a thousand shards. And when you look at each shard, you only see a little sliver of the image of Jesus. Some of us are more merciful than others. Some of us are more judgmental than others, but you know what? You need all of us. Because the person that's always mercy, mercy, mercy will let wolves in the church. And even in heaven, there came a spot where Jesus said, and there was war in heaven. Michael stood up. It's got to be balanced. But you can't always be war, war, war either. Because you're trying to save. You understand what I'm saying? Some of us are givers. We'll give, 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 give until the coverage bears. Some of us are counters. We balance out. When you look in the Bible, when you look in the New Testament, all of these prominent apostles had dominant personality. Peter was always talking and bold. And sometimes Peter was too fast. Boom, 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 boom. And Thomas was the doubter. And James and John were the brothers of thunder. They wanted to, they had, what? They ain't gonna, they, Paul thundered down. Well, Jesus said, hey, you, can't be just, you can't be calling fire down on cities and stuff. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? You can all see the dominant aspect of all of the dominant one's characters. You know whose aspect, personality you never see totally? is Jesus's. You know why? Because Jesus didn't have any dominant. He was balanced. He was the perfectly balanced person. He didn't talk too much. He didn't talk too little. He didn't get super angry super fast, but he was no milk toast either. Jesus loved peace, but he wasn't afraid to tell the truth. It's hard to get a bead. You, you know Paul. Paul was a zealot. Paul was like, whatever the task is, I'm going to knock everything over. I'm going to do it. Tear down the church, I'm going to chase it from town to town. Build a church, I'm going to. Paul was a type A personality. 
Paul was 110% or nothing. You can see that on every single one. You can't see that on Jesus because Jesus had all of the pieces in perfect harmony. And that's the image that we're supposed to be in. So when we say things like, this is the way I've always been, well, I thought you was dead in Christ. When you say those things, when you move in those ways, I'm telling you, you then fall into that category. There is a way that seemeth right to a man. Some of you have been coming to church, and it's commendable you come to church, but you're not spiritual. Church is just something that you do on the weekend for a couple of hours. Some of you are not reading your Bibles. Some of you will say, you know, I go by what I feel. But we've already learned you cannot go by what you feel. What God is implicit or explicit and in detail, that's what he means. You can't trust what you feel. You can't trust what you think of yourself. No, you are not good. You and I are sinners. And here's the other thing. As we get ready to close this thing out. Sin is not about, again, perception. Sin is not a morality issue. You, you do understand that? How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you really understand sin is not a morality issue per se? Sin is not a morality issue. Sin is an exposure issue. What do I mean by that? If you've been exposed to the HIV virus, and medical people help me out. You might have to help me out because I'm getting the waters up. It's not my thing. But if you've been exposed to the HIV virus, you are infected. Whether you are showing signs presently of the anti-immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS, or not. It's not about the symptoms. Fallen morals, that's the symptoms of sin, okay? It's about exposure. The Bible says that all have sinned. It is a almost a genetic spiritual deficiency. The day that you were born, you were born infected. You were an AIDS sin baby. That little child who knows nothing about Jesus, knows nothing about sin, but they get to a certain age where you go, don't touch that, and they look at you, and they smile, and they go, that's sin. We go, oh, that's the baby being cute. Look, he's thinking about touching. I said no. That is that willfulness manifesting itself already. Think about it. That's the first seeds of sin. We laugh and go, that's just cute. Look, they think, don't you touch that. That's the same spirit that Eve had. I said, no, you better get over here. And we laugh. Exposure to sin. My mother used to say, it's a West Indian saying, <clears throat> at least Panama, Panama, I understand. They used to say it, maybe not, maybe it was just in my house. Play with puppy, puppy lick you in the mouth. Play with dog, come on, where's West Indians at? Play with dog, dog bite you. We play with sin. 
Some of you are coming to church and you are remaining unchanged and you dare anyone to change you. You are the same person in character traits and you've been in the church for years. We got to grow. Anthony Drummond, I got to grow. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I can't stay the same. He's coming to look for the Christ in me. We sing the songs of Jesus in me. But Jesus wouldn't be out there cursing out people. Jesus wouldn't be out there hoarding up food. Jesus wouldn't be out there at board meetings. Sometimes people at board meetings, some, man, oh. You can sit at some board meetings and a person could have a misunderstanding on something and five people could be trying to explain to them and they won't, and they will not listen because they're busy defending their position, their perception. Sometimes we just have to listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth. A lot of we always, and I know I'm a preacher, so preachers talk. But sometimes we just have to. Proverbs talks about the foolish man in contrasting with the wise. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. And he says the foolish man just wants to voice his own opinion. Doesn't take knowledge, doesn't, doesn't, he's just busy telling you what he thinks, what he feels. This is what I, this is what I, forget about facts, this is what I, the wise man listens and gathers in knowledge. So the next time a brother or sister comes to you and tries to tell you about yourself, don't start because we all do it. I do it too. You start making defenses and excuses. Well, this is what, sometimes just listen. And in the quietness of your mind with God, because maybe, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Heaven and hell try to reach us through flesh and blood beings, agents. And two, people will receive something if they know you really love them. But if you just come on the level of critique at them, coming to get your little weird kind of digging on them, but if you pull aside and say, hmm, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures, write them down and go home and meditate on them. One is Proverbs 27, 17. Why we need each other. Proverbs 27, 17. And that's the one that says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Because until you interact with people and you get to understand how they see you, you'll have no real idea who you really are. The second one is in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. There Paul is talking, and Paul says that he's coming to deal with an issue. The church of Corinthians had a lot of issues. Paul says that this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And that goes back, when he did that, he was also tying back into what is said in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. When you, hear a, when you hear a complaint or an assessment or an issue from two or three of your brothers and it's the same, you need to check yourself. 
church members, don't come running to me and don't go burdening the pastor. Would you, pastor, you need to talk to so-and-so about this. You know they always, would you talk to them first? Because I'm going to ask, I don't know about the pastor, but I'm going to ask, would you do it according to Matthew 18? Would you go and talk to him as a brother or a sister? Then if it's not resolved, then you go and you find two other brothers or sisters, and then you go and you talk to them again. You talk to them first privately about the issue. Somebody spoke you in a way that you don't, you know, then you, you, you need to go in and say, when they, and, and you, you judge it. When a person's calmed down, don't go in the heat of battle. But then when it's calmed down, say, hey, 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 Don, I need to talk to you, man. What about what? What well, about the, you know, the, the way you spoke to me the other day, blah, 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 you know, we need to. And then if we can't correct that, hopefully we can resolve that. And if it is, then you've both matured in Christ. If you can't, then you get another brother or sister that's witnessed the thing and can be impartial. Because you're trying to redeem and we're all trying to grow. That's what we're here for. The church has a mechanism for working out those things. By not talking about those things, what happens is they build up, they build up, and then it explodes and it gets ugly. And I've been in churches where fights have broken out, physical fist fights. Pastors up there preaching, now you know what I'm talking a couple of them. Pastors up there preaching in the back door of the vestibule, bust open and catch out scuffling, grown men, old men at that. They shouldn't even be fighting. They're a danger to themselves. But I've also been in churches where I've gotten pulled out of the sanctuary involving women in the kitchen trying to have words, and one of them has a knife in their hand cutting chicken. And you would wonder, and you can't separate them. And I'm thinking, that is not wise spiritually. That's not wise physically. You, why would you ever want to talk to somebody about some hotly contested issue and they, and they got a knife in their hand? I don't, know, you know, I don't need no accidental bloodshed. It won't be mine. We all have growing to do. God wants us to grow because he's coming back. So as the musicians get ready to play, whatever they're going to play, whatever and howsoever they're going to play, I just want you to know this. ask myself how do I perceive life? Through what kind of eyes do I want to see life? And we're all in the same boat. Do you want to see your life through your ego's eyes? That you know you can't really trust. Or would you rather see them through God's eyes that are unfailing? See, there, there's some that are here. They're here every Sabbath. But when I talk to you, when I see you in different, I wonder, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And it's not about satisfying my curiosity. 
I want to challenge each of us to sincerely, sincerely ask the question, if Jesus was to come back right now today, would I be saved? If you're going to go to hell anyway, if you're going to go to hell anyway, if you're just going to go to hell, then don't waste your time being in church. I'm telling you that. Because you're going to, we're going to get wages at the end of this life for the life that we've lived. If you are going to go to hell, then you might as well get your wages now. You might as well have your party, get your swerve on now. Don't hold back. Do it. Because that's how serious the cost is. That's how serious it is, brother. It says that in the day we die, our plans die. In the day that we die, our thoughts perish. There is no love. There is no hate. There is no desire. There is no, it's nothing. There's no praise. There's no cursing. So whatever you're doing in your life right now, you're only getting one opportunity. God has given you one opportunity to choose heaven or hell. What do you choose, Luna? One opportunity. I'm with my first daughter, my oldest daughter. But I was a new dad. I did the best I could then. But I look back sometimes and I go, man, if I would have done this instead of this, what are you going to do when your whole household goes like that? Parents, we got to start parenting. It's not just, well, the kids are in the house, I'm taking them to church. Are you talking to your kids? Because you know the devil is talking to your kids. Church members, are you talking to these young people? I mean, really talking to them about the mistakes that you and I have made. We tell them crazy things. We tell them don't have sex. When the reality is that most of us have had sex outside of marriage. So let's be real and tell them, you know what, I messed up. But let me tell you the scars that I brought to myself. You can do better. When you see me tell you this, it's because I don't want this to be your life. going along, brother, and saying, come and talk to me. I don't got it all together. I need you so that I can be all that I can be in Christ. I want to be all I want to be in Christ. I won't be half-stepping and be lost. So right now, if you want to get real with Jesus, stand to your feet. My door. Just be real with me. Now, Lord, I want to take this thing to another level. I want it to be higher. I want it to be sweeter. I'm tired of playing around, God. God, come and wipe my windows so I can look out and see things as they really are. Jesus, stand inside of me. Lord, I, I want to do right, but I know tomorrow the flesh is going to be calling. But, God, if you'll just give me a hand, if you'll just help me.
bring it down just a little bit. Every church I've ever been to has always had an explosion of unwed mothers. And the church really, to tell you the truth, doesn't even know what to do. They're overwhelmed. You don't want to ostracize them. And a lot of them need stuff so the, so the women get together and they throw baby showers. But the thing is, because we are corruptors, the thing is, in, in other young girls' minds, they start thinking, well, she got all the attention. They got the baby shower, they see the baby, and then so then you, more girls start having babies. Have you ever noticed that? To the young mothers. I'm not tripping on your sin. But if you do not begin to bring your life to Christ, years from now, that's going to be played out with your little child that's running around right now. Bringing them to church is just taking them to a place. But do you know Jesus? Are you walking in Jesus? Are you committing in your life, I want better. Lord, I don't want to go down this way again. It's time that we stop playing around and give our hearts to Jesus. Some of you come to church because it's grandma's church. But grandma got no church, no heaven or hell for you. You better come to church because it's Jesus' church. Because people will drag you to church. But Jesus ain't going to drag you kicking and screaming to heaven. All right. And all the pastor can do is pray for you as they carry you to the grave. Now is the time to be saved. Elders, did you come forward? Because I believe that there's somebody in here that wants to be saved. Somebody in here, his heart is stirring. Their heart is stirring right now. Somebody is saying they're feeling something that perhaps they have not felt in a while. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God saying, come on, now is the time. And if you are in here, just raise your hand. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. But I am asking you, if you want to be saved, to come. Now is the time. Now is the time. Angels are moving up and down. The portal of heaven is open in this place. That's why your heart's staring. It's not my word. If you are here, just raise your hand. Don't look to the right or to the left. Can't nobody help you? Only God can help you out of this one. Only God can help you out of this one. If you are here, if you are here, those of you that know that you got to walk in relationship with Christ, Man, send up some prayers. Stomp the devil lower. Lift Jesus higher. Some of you have been reading. I've seen you reading. Some of you are reading some heavy stuff, but I got to ask what Philip asked Ethiopian, but do you understand totally what you're reading? You may not understand everything in Daniel or the Revelation or whatever, but you can know this. You can be saved right now. It's that simple. It is that simple. 
Another minute, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Jesus says, seek me while I may yet be found. One day he's going to stand up in the courts of heaven, and it's going to be over. He's going to take off the robes of priests. You and I won't even notice the moment passing. We may not even be aware of it, but from that moment on, no one else is going to be saved. He takes off his robe. The angel says, let him who is unclean be unclean still. And he who is clean be clean still. It is locked. It is done. It is set. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. If you want to be saved, just raise your hand. Heaven is just a hand raised away. Come on down. You washed away. Hallelujah, Lord. All my sins. Come on down. Come on down. All heaven is rejoicing over one soul. I know there's others. It just takes one to break through. It takes the courage. The devil, how is it we are so bold for foolishness and we are so weak for Jesus? All these brothers in prison, man, in the pen. Hard rock. All that hardness got them locked up. Jesus came to set them free. Is there anyone else? Tired of playing around. Tired of being on the fringes. You want Jesus. You want to know that God knows you. Can't be saved by association. You know that. The Bible says very clearly that the father, the sins of the father will not pass on the child that's righteous. And the sins of the child are not going to affect the father who's righteous. You may be in a household where mama or daddy knows Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. You better make him right. Grandma might know Jesus, but you got to make it right. Is anyone else? Anyone else? I told the Lord years ago, if he saved me, I said, God, if he saved me and I ever get caught up in some sin, if I can't walk to church, throw me in the church. But don't let me go to hell, God. And Martin, you know. We know, baby. Anyone else? Come on down. Come on down. If you are in the sound of my voice, come on down. This is heaven's appeal. It's not for me. One last story. When I was 13, 
my youngest uncle who I loved. His name was Ernesto Alexander McGregor. Got caught up in heroin coming up in the 60s. In and out of Phoenix House. Our whole family used to go to church, and then we all just kind of stopped. Ernie got caught up. When he was trying to get his life back together, I remember the last year of his life, he came to me about two or three times, man, and said, Tony, would you just, nephew, come to church with me? But at that time, I wasn't in the church. I was hitting my cool. No, nah, no, nah, Uncle Ernie, I, he was just looking for somebody to go back with him because everybody knew where from whence he fell. They found him in his room at 23. Fan blowing in the summertime on the edge of his bed. Blood trickling out of his nose. His face was blue. Heroin overdose. In a semi-praying position. And we always wondered, was he trying to pray to God? Did he know? Some of you are going to wait till that last moment. Why are you waiting? What is so great about this world? You know you're miserable. I don't, I don't get it. Then you ask Jesus to save you when the car swerves. And I understand that. But why wait? And why keep coming and playing year after year? Some of you, oh, I could almost point you all out. Some of y'all need to walk down this aisle. And the crazy thing about it is you, you date individuals who come in here, hear the message, and they come down the aisle. You don't come down the aisle. I'm not playing no more. You, you can't play no more. Heavenly Father, it's not me, oh God. It's you. The sad fact is that one will be taken and one will be left. One in the field and one on the roof. Sad fact, the ark was big enough for the whole population of the world at that time, but only eight souls. Many are called, few are chosen. Oh, Father God, I pray for the wise that they would hold on and not yield to there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of us have seen this young man come to church week after week. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> His name is Christopher Warren, and he is Paula's son-in-law to be, I believe. And today he has accepted Christ as his personal Savior. 
He wants to be a member of this church, and he wants to be baptized. And so we're asking you to continue to pray for him. We're so grateful for this opportunity to thank you for what you have done here this afternoon. It is through your precious blood and through the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have allowed this young man to give his life on you. Lord, we know that the road is never easy. It will never be easy. So we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will empower him so that as he moves from day to day that he will you will keep him in the straight and narrow path and that he will continue to serve you as you love him. We pray for this church and that this church will continue to pray for him, give him support and strength and all the support that he needs so that he will continue to grow in your love. May you bless him. May you guide him. Keep him safe, Lord, and grant him all your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.